Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a very special episode of the Built on Purpose podcast, where each episode I interview exceptional leaders, entrepreneurs, authors, philosophers, and straight-up interesting people to explore their outlook on life, work, and leadership. My hope for our listeners is that you can take away a special nugget of information from each of these interviews, something that will serve you and the people most important to you in pursuing a life built on purpose. My name is Brian Moore, co-founder and managing partner of Y Scouts, and today I'm interviewing Clayton Christopher, an entrepreneur who has founded or co-founded food and beverage brands like Sweet Leaf Tea, Deep Eddy Vodka, and Rhythm Superfoods, to name a few. Clayton is now one of three principals of KAVU, C-A-V-U, which is a fund that invests in consumer products. And for those of you that are curious of what C-A-V-U stands for, Ceiling and Visibility Unlimited. It's an aviation term. Look it up. Clayton has a classic entrepreneurship story, and I promise we'll dive into a few of those stories in this episode. But I'll tell you, the one big thing that stood out to me in chatting with Clayton was that he started Sweet Leaf Tea on 12 grand and his grandmother's recipe before selling the company to Nestle 13 years later for $183 million. We're going to talk about that story in this interview. Clayton is passionate about entrepreneurship. He loves helping small food and beverage companies achieve scale. And he lives in Austin, Texas, the epicenter of consumer innovation. Let's get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, please enjoy this interview with Clayton Christopher. You've had some major successes over the last uh, handful of years. And, you know, it was interesting as, as I was doing my research, uh, there's some information available on you uh, online. But what's interesting is given some of the you know, pretty big things that have happened over the last several years with the sale uh, of Sweet Tea and uh, of Deep Eddy, and now the launch of, and forgive me, I hope I'm saying it properly, Kavu? Yeah, uh, Kavu. Kavu, okay. And, um, and ca- Kavu is unlimited. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I, I love that uh, aviation term. Uh, I did a little research on that. You know, maybe let's start there actually with Kavu, and, and maybe you can share a little bit about what has driven you uh, from your very humble beginnings and entrepreneurial roots. Uh, to growing and selling a couple of different businesses to now launching a fund uh, with this aviation terminology underpinning what I assume is very much part of a, a philosophical view that that you and your partners are going to bring. Uh, absolutely, and I'm and I'm glad that uh, that you like the name and, and appreciate that. It's, it's definitely I feel like the name of uh, whether it's a brand, uh, a product a company, you know, or even an investment firm should be something that makes the team members aspire, you know, to, to, to what you stand for there. And, um, you know, it's the CAVU is the, is the perfect flying conditions. And it's what we aspire to, uh, help bring to these companies that we invest in, that we, that we partner with. Um, we certainly don't consider ourselves, uh, you know, passive investors, you know, or like my business partner, Rohan Oza likes to say, you know, a lot of firms are good at, you know, picking winners. You know, we, we, we help create winners. Um, we certainly consider ourselves operators first and investors second, because we've spent most of our working life, you know, kind of in the trenches building brands um, and running companies. So, you know, what we, what we aspire to is to be, um, you know, what, 
value add to to these uh, to these entrepreneurs and CEOs. Uh, one of the inspirations behind starting this fund was that um, over the years, from having you know sat across you know from having had venture capital and private equity firms on my own boards, having been kind of recruited and even compensated by other venture capital and private equity firms to help them on companies that they had invested in. I just, I, I recognized over the years a significant, what I'd call gap in what uh, the entrepreneur's definition of value add is and, and, and what these uh, private equity firms definition of, of, of value add is. So, um, you know, we, we aspire to be really helpful, you know, for that reason, we, we, we're not going to be able to make as many investments as the typical, um, you know, private equity or venture capital firm would, you know, I spend anywhere from two to 10 hours a week, you know, with, with the company, that's for the vast, vast majority of my long work weeks, as well as with Rohan, um, are spent with companies, um, you know, particular companies that we've, we've invested in. So, um, you know, that's, that's what gets us out of bed in the morning and that's what, uh, really gives us purpose in our lives and gets me excited. So, um, Kavu, we felt like was a, was a good term that would keep us excited, motivated, focused, um, you know, kind of that, you know, those, those, those values that you put on the wall that you got to bring, bring to life. It's, it's, it's real easy for us to say, are we helping and create, you know, ceiling and visibility on the perfect flying conditions, uh, for these entrepreneurs, because a lot of them are doing it for the first time, you know, and what they need is a Sherpa to help guide them up the mountain, because there's lots of different, you know, paths to the top of the mountain, and having someone that's that's gone there a couple of times typically improves your odds exponentially to, to get there again. So, um, so yeah, that's 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 the kind of the the inspiration behind the name, and uh, you know what we what we aspire to to help these companies do. Um, that's awesome. That's awesome. Thank thank you for sharing that. Um, that said, as you as you are uh, in the market looking at opportunities, digging uh, beneath the surface on some of these entrepreneurial ventures and, and where you can add the most value, uh, how do you determine uh, that philosophical alignment? Clearly, you've got some very you know you've planted a flag. There's some strong beliefs beliefs that that you and your partners have. And, and much of that, uh, you know, likely stems from the experiences that you've had in building cultures and focusing on some of the intangibles that, uh, as a line item, don't show up on the PNL, but they clearly impact the PNL. And uh, right. I, I'd love to maybe you can share with us a little bit about how you identify when that philosophical alignment is there with some of the entrepreneurs that that you meet with. Sure. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest things that, that we look for um, when we invest in terms of kind of the, the, on the person side, there's certainly things on the product side, on the business, on the, the, the particular category, you know, that these brands are in, but from uh, in terms of investing in people, because that's, that's the biggest bet that you make. And the biggest investment is betting on the team you know, and, and, and betting on the, the entrepreneur uh, oftentimes. And, you know, the, I'd say the first thing that, that we look for is integrity and trust. Um, we, it, it's got to be someone that we feel like is of high integrity, uh, someone that we trust. Um, you know, I, I like to call it a learner versus a knower's mindset. Um, 
uh, knowers scare the hell out of me, frankly, because um, I, I used to be one in the early days of Sweet Leaf, and it almost put us out of business. Uh, you know, so I think I had to have uh, be beaten down pretty hard, you know, and kind of come <laughs> uh, hardened in the fire, and 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 you know basically just had to go through hell, you know, in the early days of a startup to kind of be broken of that and realize that I was, you know, the, the most successful companies, you know, the, the entrepreneur aspires to never be the smartest person in the room to surround himself with or herself with people <clears throat> that they trust, um, you know, to have a high level of vulnerability on the team so that you can, uh, you know, shoot holes in each other's ideas in order to distill those to, to get the best possible strategy and make the best possible decision. So, you know, we, we learner versus a knower's mindset. Um, you know, knowers tend to get their heads knocked off because <laughs> industries change so quickly. And you know, I just say you, you've got to constantly be hungry for knowledge and open to learn. And, you know, God gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. Um, so integrity, uh, trust, learner versus knowers, passion, certainly. You know, I want to see someone that uh, is 100% focused and committed that when they get out of bed every day that, you know, and on the weekends. And, you know, I can remember when I was running Sweet Leaf Tea and, and, and Deep Eddy Vodka. I mean, you know, I would literally have dreams about the business and about decisions. And oftentimes would wake up in the middle of the night and write down ideas that came to me. You know, they, certainly it can get to be a little too obsessive. Uh, you have to try try to strike a little bit of a balance. But, you know, I want to see an entrepreneur that is incredibly passionate and willing to do whatever it takes um, to make this work kind of a can't fail um, attitude. Um, and certainly, um, is, and, our, and our investments reflect this, but certainly there's a belief that, you know, they have to be very passionate about the mission that they're on, about the products that they're creating, which are going to be, um, you know, better for you products. You know, we're, we're just, we're huge believers that um, the vast majority of what we consume, you know, what's available for consumption in conventional grocery stores is, is not good for you. Um, and, you know, we can't look toward the Cokes, the Pepsis, the, the um, you know, Unilevers of the world to create better for you products. Um, you know, that's innovation doesn't happen. Uh, near as quickly within the Fortune 500 companies. I, I like to joke, but the you know two most risk-averse people on the planet are CEOs of Fortune 500 companies or publicly traded companies and uh, first-year MBAs. <laughs> so you know they're they're so scared of failure. So to expect for those people to and those those huge companies to you know fix what's wrong with our food, with our beverages, and to to innovate. Uh, is is it's just asking, you know, it, it's asking people to do something that's very just unnatural to their basic nature. So you really have to look to the entrepreneurs to do that, who who embrace risk with passion. Um, you know, who see the biggest risk is not not embracing risk and, and taking it. Um, you know that they're going to regret it if they don't if, if they don't you know put their heart and soul into trying to create change and you know, create these brands. So, you know, whether it's our investment in Thrive Market, which was our very first investment that we made, um, Gunnar Lovelace and his crew there, um, you know, have a ton of respect for the mission 
of that company um, to uh, buy uh, BAI, which is a, um, a low calorie, high antioxidant, all natural, uh, you know, uh, fruit based beverage that we uh, recently made a sizable investment into, you know, one of, one of my proudest moments when we were just about to make our investment and buy, and this was literally just a few weeks ago, I was at a, an HEB, a very mainstream conventional grocery store uh, here in Austin, Texas, just kind of wandering the aisles as, as I often do. And there was a uh, overweight uh, ethnic woman drinking a buy. And I would absolutely have expected her to be drinking a Coca-Cola sure. um, or a Pepsi. And that to me, I mean, it literally, it just it put a smile on my face because the whole mission of that company is, um, and, you know, the purpose of the product is, is you, you, you should not have to compromise on, on taste and on flavor. Uh, and with your, with your beverage, you should be able to have something that's delicious, that has bold, full flavors, um, but is good for you. Uh, as well. So, you know, we just, we love the mission, the purpose of that, that company. And, um, you know, that, that was just for me, uh, uh, really exciting to see someone in the grocery store, you know, uh, that before they didn't really have an option, you know, it's, um, so, so yeah, we, we certainly look forward, you know, the product's got to be there, but, um, with the entrepreneur, it's, uh, you're, you're I always say that over 50% of the equation is the team. You know, it's it's more important than, than any product because if the product's broken or the supply chain's broken or something's fundamentally wrong with the business, the right team can, can fix it. So I want to, if, if we can for a moment, I want to chat about uh, passion and purpose. Uh, and specifically, uh, I want to tie it to uh, the place you call home. And I, I recall one of the grannyisms that uh, had labeled the bottom of one of the sweet, uh, sweet uh, tea leaf. Uh, caps was bloom where you're planted and clearly you've chosen, <laughs> you've chosen to bloom right where you're planted in, in Austin, Texas. Can you talk about how important your surroundings have been to you to help you bloom and help those that you're helping bloom? Uh, that's a, a great question. And I think our, our surroundings are, are critical. Um, you know, where, where we, uh, grow up where we where we live day to day where we work um, it influences our thinking it influences our our outlook the type of people that we surround choose to surround ourselves with um, are incredibly important and and Austin has been you know highly influential I'd, I'd say in, in my personal development I feel uh, incredibly you know committed and you know and passionate about the city. Um, so it's a wonderful, wonderful community. It's one of the, I'd say, only communities um, that that I've been close to. I'd say it's, it's one of the only, let's say, major cities that, that I've witnessed that has a culture that is excited to see other people win. Um, that is a, a culture where it's, it's very approachable um, community here of, of, of business people and, and entrepreneurs to where you know, it's, it's, it's more easy than, than most cities to get in front of people that have achieved, you know, in, in the business world, uh, what, what most would consider very high levels of success. Um, so people tend to be very approachable. Um, they, they feel committed. I'd say the community feels committed to give back. Um, uh, they want to help other entrepreneurs. Um, I just, I, you know, I love that. 
I, I had a lot of help along the way. And, you know, I try to do whatever I can to give, give back to the community and give back to other entrepreneurs, whether it's a, a coffee, a phone call. I mean, there's probably six to seven of them a week. I can't, I can't do all of them, but, you know, I certainly feel obligated to, to help other people on their journey because I certainly had a lot of help. And I would say that that has come largely from growing up, um, at least kind of in my more formative years, college and onward uh, in, in Austin, Texas. And certainly with, with Whole Foods being headquartered here, there's there's a, a lot of influence that they've had over the city just in terms of, you know, health and wellness. It's a, a very interesting intersection here in Austin. We're, we're one of the, perhaps I think the only city in the U.S. where we're one of the top 10 party cities in the U.S., but we're also one of the top 10 healthiest cities <laughs> in the u.s so as you can imagine it's a, it's a great place to start a food or beverage brand sure so a work hard play hard certainly as cliche as it is austin certainly fits the bill absolutely and I, and I would say just to add on kind of close that up one of the things another one of the reasons why i love i love the city is and you can see it in the conversations that are happening at coffee shops all all over the city and, and when people get together for lunch it's People are more interested, vastly more interested in what you do um, and, and, the, and the passion behind what it is that you do than they are how much you make or what car you drive. That's awesome. I, mean, I think Austin has more uh, people in flip-flops and T-shirts that are, that are millionaires per capita than any other city in the U.S. <laughs> that's, that's excellent. Uh, I want to touch on just for a moment, uh, as you were sharing about Austin and the importance of giving back, uh, the co-founder of Ben & Jerry's, Jerry Greenfield, sounds like he had quite an impact on you uh, during some of your earlier years. And and and, and, uh, and that obviously has shaped some of your philosophy and how business can be a force for giving back. Can you share a little bit about uh, Jerry's impact on you and, and how uh, your collaboration with him has led you in, in the direction that you've gone? Oh, absolutely. You know, I had, I'm in a kind of a transition office now, but I had a picture of uh, in my last office, and it will be up as soon as I get into a more permanent home here. But I have a, a picture of me and my uh, best friend and co-founder of, of uh, Sweet Leaf Tea, David Smith, and Jerry in front of one of our old Sweet Leaf Tea school buses that we had kind of decorated out. But, you know, I didn't spend a lot of time with Jerry and, you know, Shame on me. I, I haven't kept up with him, but uh, we he came and, and spent some time with David, myself, and kind of our whole team in Austin. And then we had um, a couple of calls, and he he was he was very influential. I mean, uh, as, as most people know, I mean Ben and Jerry's guy were were some of the just leading thinkers and 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 leading company in conscious capitalism and purpose and, and, and having a mission that was just much bigger, you know, than, than the company, than, than making ice cream and, and certainly giving back uh, to the community. So, you know, if it wasn't for Ben and Jerry's, you know, I think that it would have taken, uh, it would have taken our country longer to evolve um, and a lot of these companies longer to evolve and just the whole conscious capitalism movement. So, you know, there's certainly kind of, I'd call them the godfathers. Um, but, you know, I, I was highly inspired, it, you know, sweetly, if we had a, you know, it was an, we were, we were organic. Um, we were doing that for, 
reasons that we felt like were the right reasons. You know, tea leaves and don't get washed until you put them in a, you know, a hot cup of water or a 10,000 hot gallon vat, you know, vat, a stainless steel vat and, and brew them with water as we were doing it, it sweetly. So, you know, for health reasons, we felt like that was very important. Um, but uh, the giving back to the community was, you know, I'd say that's where Jerry really inspired us because we, we weren't, we were outside of a, a better for you product and knowing that the working conditions were better for a lot of these workers. Um, outside of that, there, you know, we really hadn't gotten, I'd say, inspired to, to give back. And um, after spending time with Jerry, it, it really, I mean, immediately, you know, David and I sat down and said, you know, we started to brainstorm on, on what we could do to, to give back. We, we implemented, gosh, I'm trying to remember, it's, we, we implemented an annual um, Habitat for Humanity where we would take a couple of days off go, you know, help build these homes, paint the insides of these homes. So that became a, a great team building activity. We started to set an annual budget, set money aside, um, 1% of our revenue to uh, set aside and allow our employees to end of the year decide where they wanted that money to go. We would select a few nonprofits and then kind of let the employees vote on where they wanted that to go. So, you know, I, I would like to have thought that that seed was was in us and it just you know someone would have come along and watered it but um you know i, I think it, jerry was 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 crucial in, in ha having us to just helping us think that way but it's the, the communities that keep us in business you know i think too oftentimes you know business owners kind of forget who it is that actually keeps them in business and you know there should just be a deep appreciation um, of the communities that, that support these products and these brands. So, you know, I think that as business owners, we should think about how we can um, give back to these communities that, that keep us in business. And, and let's face it, we're, we hit the jackpot. We live in America, <laughs> educated, you know, loving parents. I mean, to think that we actually deserve any of this, I mean, that's, you know, so I feel like, that's uh, we're obligated. It's not a, it's not a privilege. You know, it's, it's an obligation. Well, that's a, I mean, it's a, it's a truth, truthfully a, a very uh, interesting mindset, right? And you talked about mindset, the learner versus knower and, and approaching, you know, the gifts that we have been given being born in a country where freedom is, is, is a given it's minimum table stakes. And that's not the case in many other parts of the world. So I, I agree with you a hundred percent. And along those lines of, uh, making or having those types of recognitions. You had mentioned earlier uh, that, and it was also in one of the interviews that I saw, one of the limited ones I could find was there was a, a turning point for you where you recognized the value uh, of winning as a team was far greater uh, than being right. And you talked about this learner versus knower uh, that you look for now in some of the ventures and entrepreneurs. Uh, and you made mention that you weren't always that way, that you wanted to have all the answers, that it was important for you to be right. But then there was this, what I uh, perceived to be a turning point where uh, like hit you over the head that, wait a minute, winning as a team is far more meaningful than being right and surrounding yourself with people who are phenomenal at what they do uh, and building a cohesive team. I'm curious, w was there a specific moment in time, a decision, an, uh, an occurrence, something that led you to this minor or maybe major revelation that it's more important uh, 
to win as a team than to be the guy with all the answers? You know, it, I, I, there wasn't kind of that aha moment where, where the light bulb went off. I, I would say it was kind of, it was a series of events. I mean, Sweetleaf Tea, we certainly struggled in the early days and, you know, we we're on the edge of going out of business <laughs> numerous times. I'm sure that, um, that could be a humbling experience by all by itself. Yeah, that, a very humbling experience. But, um, you know, there was a, a, a mentor and one of our board members early on, a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Bill McGoy, um, who uh, he had the Snapple uh, distributorship in Southern California. He was kind of the first money and even, you know, interim CEO at uh, Oregon Chai um, when they were first getting going. He, he was just a, just a phenomenal mentor, dear, dear man, a uh, wonderful business person. And he was constantly pushing me to surround myself with, with smart people um, to, to learn. And, I, and I'd say, while I didn't use the term, I think he was the first person that I would say was really influential on encouraging me to get out of the knower's mindset. I think early on, I was, I was really intimidated by, uh, by smart people. I never graduated from college, so there's probably some um, hang up there, you know, that I had. And he, I, I can recall him encouraging me to find a CFO. You know, we've gotten to a level where, you know, we, we really needed to get someone in place that was detail-oriented, that was organized, that um, had a, a good handle on, on finances and could help put some of that discipline in place. And we weren't looking for someone just to kind of generate the reports. It was, it was, I was needing someone to really help me run the business that had a, a complementary skill set that was very different than mine. And so we brought in a gentleman by the name of Brian Goldberg, who's now the um, CFO at, at Amplify Brands, which is Skinny Pop that recently went public. And Brian, Brian's a dear friend, but I mean, Brian was, you know, master's in taxation, MBA. He had worked for Price Waterhouse, lived in Europe, running their tax practice over there, was in a venture capital firm for a number of years. I'm just a really sharp guy. We were about the same age. And I was very intimidated by him. Um, you know, when, when he first came, uh, when he first joined Sweetleaf, I was, uh, he, he was just, he, he, he challenged me, um, you know, a, a lot of the decisions. And, and I, and I was kind of, used to, you know, just calling the shots and having people come to me and ask me what they should do. And that was kind of my MO at the time. And it was one of the biggest, it really held us back in the early days of, of Sweetleaf. And, and Brian was the first person that, that really challenged me on a day-to-day -day basis. And, um, you know, I thought he was like out for my job, I think the first <laughs> few months of the business, but it, you know, and it was a, it was a painful transition, but I would say after, and after six or so months, I really began to admire him, to respect him. And, uh, you know, we, we since we had had a, a wonderful working relationship and he's a dear friend to this day. But um, so I would say it was more of a transformation. We didn't really start to grow at Sweetleaf until we started to hire experienced salespeople, uh, folks like um, Brian Goldberg, you know, true leaders that um, are experts in their particular field and for me to get out of their way, you know, and uh, I think it was Steve Jobs that said, you don't hire great people to tell them what to do. You know, you hire great people to get out of their way and give them the tools they need to succeed. So it was, it was probably, I'd say kind of a year long process, painful process of me kind of moving to a place where I'd say I'm, you know, started to be much more focused on winning 
than, than being right. And you know, everybody wants to say they'd rather win than be right, but it's, it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to, to live it. And, uh, you know, I still have to kind of look myself in the mirror every day and on lots of different topics and situations when I feel my emotions rise up from within on a particular yeah, situation, you know, I, I, I question my ego, you know, I always want to say, isn't the words my ego at play in this, you know, do I really want to win versus being right? And why am I feeling this way? So I think it's, it's an ongoing process. I don't know if you ever kind of are completely free of, of our, of our ego that can, can be a negative influence on our decisions and on our outlooks. I think it's kind of an ongoing process of, of self-reflection and, you know, I, I try to stay very uh, aware of it. And, uh, you know, I think one way is to make sure you surround yourself with people that are highly curious, that are um, opinionated, um, and, that, and that you make sure there's enough communication there so that there's trust in an environment where they are willing to, they're, they're going to speak their mind um, and they're, they're going to call you into question and, uh, you know, shoot, shoot holes in your ideas and, and in your thoughts, even, even if just for the sake of making sure you get a better outcome. But, you know, you got, you got to be able to welcome that um, on a team and those, those, the, those the, the most highly functioning teams. Yeah. So that said, and, and uh, speaking to the comment you made earlier about many of the entrepreneurs that Cabu is investing in are first time entrepreneurs. Uh, is it fairly easy and for you and your team to spot uh, how those entrepreneurs are coming into these situations, specifically around the desire to be right versus winning as a team? Is it, uh, can you detect that when you're working with some of these first-time entrepreneurs and then able to leverage some of, of your journey uh, and coach them appropriately from a, a, you know, a place of obviously love and care and concern and wanting to help them grow? Is it, is that, has that come up? Yeah, you, I mean, it, it's some, it, with some folks, it's it's easier. It, you know, you can discover more quickly than with others. You know, sometimes it's in a very short conversation. You can we can kind of discover someone more of a, a learner versus a knower. Um, but you know, with others, it, it, it takes longer. But it's it's definitely something that we're 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 focused on that we look for. Um, and you know, it's also something that we're absolutely committed. And, uh, you know, and, and, and helping coach a lot of these entrepreneurs and it's something, especially with the, the first time kind of early stage ones. I mean, we let them know from, from day one, you know, one of the biggest risks is, is this company going to outgrow you, you know, and the biggest in, insurance policy that any first time entrepreneur can, can create for themselves is to, you know, hire the best and the brightest around them and to give those people the tools to lead and to, um, you know, ask lots of questions. I'm going to have an entrepreneur that comes in, uh, in a, you know, particular space that I've been, I've spent, you know, 20 years working in and all they want to do is, you know, tell me how great their product is and how great their business idea is. And they don't ask any questions. You know, usually that's, that's, that's a red flag. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the, the best entrepreneurs I've seen are asking as many questions as they, you know, you're kind of asking while you're pitching. And I know while we were raising our fund, and this was genuine. This wasn't saying, I mean, I, I, you know, we knew there's going to be plenty of interest to, to have that people kind of invest in our fund, but that truly the more sophisticated investors out there, a lot of the family offices and a couple of the institutional investors we have, um, I, I'd say, you know, in, in a couple of instances, over half the discussion, half our meeting was taken up by, you know, 
me asking them questions about what are the most highly functioning, you know, venture capital and private equity teams that they work with and what separates good from great outside of their investments, you know, their or their practices or their, you know, you know, what 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 are these firms doing that are, you know, creating over a long period of time better returns, um, just more successful environments, you know, ability to recruit. Um, you know, top tier team members, associates, analysts, vice presidents. So, you know, I was, and I was genuinely curious because I know that there's, you know, we need to bring people on to our team at Cabo that have forgotten more than we know, you know, about kind of the professional investment landscape about managing a fund. And so who better to learn from than people that, you know, the institutional investors that invest in these funds for a living. Sure. And uh, so that was, you know, that, that was very helpful. I learned a lot, a lot through that process. And, um, I think, uh, you know, obviously, I think it, it obviously resonated, I think with, with a lot of those folks because they ended up investing in the fund. So, uh, just for a moment, talking about, uh, the fund and the private equity and the venture capital world, uh, and having spent, uh, some considerable time and continuing to do so, uh, in the conscious capitalism movement and through that having exposure to, uh, some pretty uh, new age, if you will, or certainly new thinking type uh, organizations like a Satori and many of their funds, uh, if not all, having these extended lifespans of you know decades so that it gives them and their, their ventures the opportunity to make really smart decisions that are both uh, connect, uh, uh, connects the near term and the far term as opposed to this uh, Wall Street-driven quarterly uh, financial return, maximizing shareholder value only, as opposed to the mm -hmm. the stakeholder-centric model, uh, which I, I do believe, and I'm sure you do as well, and clearly Satori does, that you need to create more runway. You need to create uh, a little bit more space for these entrepreneurs to make the right decisions that are going to help them advance uh, the organization for the long run. Um, has have you seen other firms like a Satori that are doing super interesting things to really rewrite the rules of what private equity and venture capital can be about? Um, I mean, it's I would say it's more. I feel like the exception versus the rule. Um, I do feel like it's changing, which is which is great. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not real close with Satori, but uh, I've certainly heard their name out there. Um, and, and I love that those types of firms are uh, getting more visibility because, you know, as they have one financial success and as they uh, get publicity, you know, that, that can help create change uh, with, with, with other, um, with, within the investing community. You know, I, I think ultimately um, what it's going to come down to is, uh, you know, there, there's got to be performance. Oh, for sure. um, but, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you do the right thing and when you approach uh, when, when you, the relationship that you have with, with your investments, with, with the management teams, with the entrepreneurs is one of trust and of high integrity. Um, and is not managed by legal documents and is not financially over engineered. Um, and when you're, when you're really looking out, you know, trying to create a win win situation, which I've just seen firsthand, unfortunately, far too many times 
situations where the investors will um, jeopardize and hurt the relationship and the trust with, uh, with these CEOs and the founders in order to make a, a few more points of return. Um, I've been on the receiving end of it. And it's just, it's, it's very unfortunate trying to, to, you know, bury sophisticated financial instruments, you know, in the, in the, in the legal docs and, and not uh, explain them very clearly in the term sheets. Um, so, you know, that sort of stuff, it, it just, it, it, it hurts trust. And over time, those firms, you know, they, they build a reputation for that. I'm certainly not going to name any names, but there's a, a number of firms uh, in our industry, in the consumer products industry, that are, that are um, private equity firms that are focused on consumer products that they're just, they're not going to get the best deals, you know, because the, the best entrepreneurs with the best products um, that have, you know, that are the, the, the most successful kind of up-and-comers, the hottest brands, they're going to have their 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 pick of who they go with, and the smartest entrepreneurs are going to do their homework. You know, a, a sharp entrepreneur should investigate and do do their background checks as much on uh, the private equity firm, the investment firm that's investing in them, as as the investment firm should do in the company. And as you start to make, as these as these in, CEOs make calls to other CEOs of portfolio companies that are within these investment firms of, of CEOs that have exited that had, had been in the portfolio company. You learn a lot that way. And, you know, I think that over time, you know, the, the I'm a big believer in the karma bank. And if you, if you do the right thing and you treat the entrepreneur fairly and you encourage um, prospective CEOs, prospective investments, the CEOs of those companies to do their homework and to call around and to make the introductions to, you know, all the, the companies that we've invested in, you know, that your, your reputation over time will win. I mean, at the end of the day, that's, that's all we have. And, uh, you know, long-term, whether it's the Satori, Satori Capitals of the world or whether it's, you know, the cavus of the world is we certainly aspire um, to be, uh, you know, I, I think o over time you're going to get access to the best deals because the smartest entrepreneurs are going to know that it's not about trying to squeeze every single penny they can out of a term sheet. It's looking for a long-term partner that they can trust that is going to totally shoot straight with them. And, um, you know, that sort of healthy relationship is going to create a better company that's going to create a, a better environment, you know, on a board level. You know, when you have a, a, a <laughs> you probably, I'm sure a lot of people have heard, like you can, they've been MRIs of the brain. When you look at the blood flow within the brain, uh, when someone is in a fear mentality, and I've seen it too often in, in, board, in board settings, it completely stifles creativity versus when you're in a place of trust, and you're in a place of safety uh, and you're the creative part of our brains uh, are, are much more active um, you know so when you're in that that kind of that fear mode and you feel like you're gonna have a board member that's gonna jump all over you or that you, you don't trust you got to be careful what you say I mean we operate in the fight-or-flight mode yep um, and I've had numerous conversations with CEOs of boards that I'm on having to work through a problem board member and they, they they lose sleep over it, and, and the board meetings can be incredibly unproductive. But if we can 
you know, work to create that, 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 that place where there's trust and there's safety. Those entrepreneurs, those companies are more likely to perform much better and those investments should do better. And I think uh, just o o over time, the, the, the private the invest, the investment firms that take that approach are, are, are going to get the best deals and their companies are going to perform better when there's a high level of trust there. Yep. I, I absolutely agree. I absolutely agree. So uh, I want to just wind things up, uh, maybe uh, just transition for a moment to uh, kind of a lighter note, if you will. And this has been great. I can't, can't thank you enough for spending the time with us this morning. Um, you know, given that you created and sold an incredibly successful vodka company, I think there's a lot of folks out there uh, who probably grew up uh, just like me. I had no idea back you know, 25 or so years ago when I graduated from school what it was I was going to do with my life. And there's lots of folks out there like that. And the thought of working in the beverage industry probably sounds like an incredibly exciting place to spend time. I'm curious, as someone who has created and sold a very successful beverage company, multiple, but focusing on Deep Eddie at least for a moment, What's the sexiest thing about working in the beverage industry and what's the least <laughs> sexiest thing about working in it? <laughs> Interesting. The sexy, well, I, you know, I, I, it, it doesn't get much sexier than the, than the liquor industry. You know, the spirit, the spirits industry is, it is a, it is a fun place. I mean, yeah. It's, just, it's so market, market, marketing driven. Sure. Um, I mean, you know, obviously we were, or we were able to really set our, apart at Deep Eddy just because of the quality of the ingredients using real juices instead of artificial flavors to, to flavor our product with um, you know so we start, we were able to set ourselves apart and I believe that's that's ultimately why we, why we succeeded and you know just fueled um, phenomenal growth but uh, you know let's face it you're <laughs> you, 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 you do your marketing in bars you know, and it, it, it music festival. So I'd say that the sexiest thing about being in the beverage industry, you know, whether it was a sweet leaf, I mean, most of our marketing was done at music festivals, all, whether it, either demos or music festivals, we did a lot of music festivals around the country. And it's just a great place to create that love affair with consumers in your brand. So we took a lot of those kind of um, plays from our playbook and, and, and implemented them at, at Deep Eddie. So I'd say that's that's definitely the sex, sexiest part is just getting to hang out in you know really fun environments and bring that brand to life and to integrate that brand, uh, your brand within those events so that it feels like your event and consumers. Like I said that's kind of where they the best place for them to to discover your brand. So that that was definitely kind of the sexiest part outside of you know uh, it, it was it was quite often you'd see some heavy taste testing going on at five o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> on a Tuesday or a Thursday. So that was not uncommon at all. And, you know, I'd say the, the, the least uh, sexy thing, God, if I had to try to think just beverages uh, in particular, um, oh, gosh, it's tough. It's such a wonderful industry. I mean, the spirits industry, the natural food industry, which is really where my heart is, is in the natural food industry. I love the spirits industry, but um, the natural food industry is really, where my heart is but you know the, the, there's there's still people issues you know you still have there there's you're still running a business um you know you still you're negotiating compensation packages with folks you're unfortunately every now and then having to let someone go 
um, that's not performing, you know, that's, that's, that's tough. Um, and if anyone says that, you know, firing someone, letting someone go is, is, is not the worst part of business. I mean, I just, I can't even, I can't imagine, uh, you know, so luckily I haven't had to do it too many times, but you know, I've had to do it enough and I'm sure I'll have to, may have to do it a few more times in my lifetime, but you know, having to let someone go is, uh, that's, that's by far the, it's the toughest thing. It has to be done, you know, and it's typically not done quickly enough, but, uh, yeah, just the, the messy people issues that inevitably come up because we're human, we're complex and, and having to deal, deal with that is, is probably the less sexy, but it's, it's definitely the most important yep. um, part is, is dealing with, dealing with your, your team members. But Brian, thanks so much for the interest. Yeah, and, uh, it was great getting a chance to visit with you. And thanks for, for doing what you do. Likewise, Clayton. Really a pleasure, man. Wish you and your team at Cavu nothing but the best. And frankly, all the things that you're involved in right now, it's almost too numerous to mention. So I hope to uh, hope to run into you at, uh, at an upcoming Conscious Capitalism Conference in Chicago or maybe the CEO Summit in Austin uh, later this year. Let, let's, let's do it. I look forward to it. All right, man. Take care. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Until next time, thank you for listening, folks. You can obtain a transcribed version of this show and hear more interviews from the Built on Purpose podcast by visiting our website, yscouts.com forward slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple of additional things I have for you. Number one, I'm hoping to get some bonus questions answered by Clayton from our community. So if you have any questions you'd like him to answer, please drop me a line at brian at yscouts.com with your question and I'll forward them on. If you enjoyed this episode, there's a couple of others I think you'll love. Barry Schwartz, who gave us one of the most viewed TED Talks of all time, is featured on one of our episodes talking about why we work. Another favorite episode of mine is with Kat Taylor, the co-founder and co-CEO of Beneficial State Bank. In it, she'll explore her perspective of what needs to happen in the banking industry. Again, that URL is yscouts.com forward slash podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.